0: listening to the Soul Strategies Podcast, hosted by the team here at Soul Strategies. We hope you like the latest episode, and thanks for tuning in.
1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Soul Strategies Podcast. We've been taking a brief hiatus, uh, but we've kind of reorganized a little bit. So today, uh, official announcements, I think, are are due. Uh, I'm your co-host, James Ray, and we now have another co-host, Josh Willis. So this is going to be a fun podcast for a number of reasons. When we initially started this, uh, kind of the planning for this episode, we were initially going to be going into a a series of topics, but today's news actually has kind of overridden any kind of plan that we had. So today we're going to be talking about the recent news of Joe Manchin functionally killing the Build Back Better plan and what this kind of like militant moderacy in the Democratic Party indicates for the future health of the democratic party going into 22 and 2024. So, you know, uh,
0: Josh, if you want to get us started, how's, how's the morning? Been? <laughs> well, honestly, I can say James, like when I woke up this morning and I, you know, I kind of rolled out of bed, checked Twitter, saw the news. I uh, was simultaneously the most and least surprising thing I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, a lot of us have been waiting for Joe Manchin to like make that official announcement for a while. I think a lot of us saw him kind of sapping build back better for months and months now of any progressive um, facet (laughs) of anything that could have been any crumb that he could have given to uh, the working people of this country. We kind of saw that coming. Um, I was a little bit taken aback. I think early on about the whole oh, so we're going to let Joe Manchin run the country now. That's the play we're running. And as and slowly over time, it became more and more apparent that that's exactly what was going on, that there was going to be absolutely zero uh, legitimate repercussions for Joe Manchin, and to a lesser extent, but also a very prominent extent, um, Kirsten Cinema. right? Um, there was going to be very little um, repercussions for them kind of taking... Um, the power that the democrats worked very hard to win um we'll talk about that later uh, the, the power that they worked very hard to win um by taking the senate effectively uh clinching them the white house um and both houses of congress right um taking that power and effectively nullifying it completely um so that bit of it was a little surprising early on, but I guess this morning when I saw the news and I was like, all right, Joe Manchin officially announced that he's not voting for Bill Back Better, which effectively kills you know, the centerpiece of Joe Biden's um, platform. I uh, wasn't really surprised, but uh, I figured you know, it just happened this morning. We may as well come up and talk about it because it's, it's a pretty substantial microcosm of this presidency thus far. Um, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it before we really dive deeper into it. So on my end, like I I had a few initial thoughts, you
1: know, one was, I was, I was less surprised at the action and more surprised that people were at all surprised about it. Um, you know, Manchin has, you know, for pretty much since the beginning of his entire, um, leadership, I mean, I'm, I'm calling it leadership because I think functionally he is in control of the Senate. Um, you know, since the beginning of his like tenure, I suppose, he has been determined to be like a very, very moderate force that kind of opposes any even remotely progressive reforms or policies or changes or what have you. And, you know, Manchin's biggest sticking point in the infrastructure negotiations were the, you know, the, the social spending components, of the Build Back Better plan. So for me, the minute that Democrats decided to separate the infrastructure spending package from the Build Back Better plan vote, that's about all I needed to know. The Build Back Better was functionally dead, um, because like there's, you've just eliminated the one leverage point that you really had in these negotiations from being, you know, from being on the table, and now you have a a very moderate Democrat, real functionally, in my opinion, a conservative, who is is now just going to vote the way that he wants to vote because there's no reason for him not to you know he's passed the infrastructure component that he can now go home to his constituents and say hey you know I gave you better roads or what have you but he now also gets to say and I also like it was able to trim the fat functionally right I was able to stop the social spending stuff from getting done aren't I a great moderate can you please vote for me again and that's kind of going to be the strategy that he's going to employ and it's the strategy that he's been employing for like. The longest time is how can I get crumbs to take back to my constituents without giving anyone the whole pie. And I don't know, like it's just been surprising to me that people were so surprised about it, but it didn't really surprise me that it happened. Because um, this is pretty textbook mansion, in my opinion. I don't know. What, what, what do you think?
0: I, I, I would agree with that. I think that it's it's pretty interesting how Manchin is kind of, now as he stepped into the national spotlight, I mean, he's become a household name because of this, um, uh, I think that effectively driving all democratic policy, right? Um, By voting down or saying he's not going to vote for certain aspects of democratic policy, um, he's taken this stance as kind of the the very, the, the kind of rare, I feel like, deficit hawk Democrat, Um, where he's really attached himself to, you know, those Republican talking points we see so often, right? Whenever Congress has to pass, uh, you know, billions upon billions upon billions upon trillions of dollars worth of military spending, there is never once a talk about the deficit. Um, The deficit only gets brought up when we're talking about policies that could impact like working Americans, policies that can impact just Americans across the board, right? We're talking uh, you know infrastructure is one of them like more legitimate infrastructure we talk about social safety nets we talk about like uh, medical care um, all of that stuff is that's when you get into the weeds that's when these deficit hawks kind of come crawling out of the woodwork right and that's kind of something Joe Manchin has now attached himself to uh, Joe Manchin is very much so the textbook deficit hawk democrat and that's the thing is yeah, he got to he got to take exactly what you said. He gets to go home and he gets to say like, "Look, I got the infrastructure, but also the deficit." And um, on a personal level, I've always been kind of, uh, you know, what is a what is a working class American? Uh, you know, in Middle America um you know puts their pants on one leg at a time like what do what do they really care for the deficit um other than what they've been they've been told they have to care for the deficit right um because at the end of the day the deficit only matters uh when blocking policy that's going to help regular Americans um and that's kind of been the 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 thing for Joe Manchin right is he, he is he's effectively used that messaging to now kill the most Set like the 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 most center the centerpiece of of Joe Biden's presidential uh, policy, um, essentially sticking hard line to that messaging. I do think it's pretty textbook mansion. Like I said, I was only surprised in the very beginning that the Democrats were going to absolutely let him run it because it did seem not that this is out of touch with with what we've seen in the past um, from the Democratic Party as a whole and I can get into that a little bit later, I have a certain theory about that, Um, but more so just after the absolute dogfight that the Democrats put up in Georgia, right? Um, Putting the entirety of the national democratic machine into two Senate races, because they knew that if they secured both Senate races, uh, Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, if they were to both win that would effectively give them the majority in all houses of office, right, at a federal level. And the absolute fight that they put into that, it seemed like, ah, maybe they might actually, like, you know, try to to work something out here. And um, they put in all that effort (laughs) only to have a senator from, you know, West Virginia, and to a lesser extent, a senator uh, from Arizona, shoot it down Uh, so it's it's kind of it's kind of incredible how how the democrats kind of folded on that but other than that not at all surprised by the news it seemed like joe manchin was pretty much doing this the whole time this is now just the official nail in the coffin as it were hey you're listening to the soul strategies podcast take a moment to listen to some of our esteemed champions and their takeaways from the program And I'm glad
1: that I was a part of that, that I had the opportunity to even be involved with that, with some legitimate organizations that help people who want to do right by other people, you know, by communities. You know, utilize my my resources, utilize my networks. Um, This has, the last month, I've had some tremendous things happen.
0: It's your time to become a leader. Go to soulstrategies.com to find out more.
1: No, I completely agree. And, it, it, you know, it's only compounded by the, the unfortunate reality that, you know, the Biden administration, it seems, didn't really care, I think, all that much about what was literally the centerpiece of their administration. <laughs> um, you know, beyond infrastructure, I don't know how badly Biden actually cared. Uh, there doesn't seem to be that much evidence that he did. And, you know, in the last week, even before this official news, we had seen such a quick pivot to like emphasis on voting rights legislation over the BBB that over the triple B that I really, you know, in in my opinion, as soon as I saw Biden rhetorically shift really heavily towards voting rights legislation in my head, I said, Oh, that's not a good sign. (laughs) Um, Because he's completely shifting messaging and he's shifting focus. Right. Which, which means that bill is either secured or dead or dead on arrival. Um, And it appears unfortunately that it was the latter rather than the former. Um, but I mean, that's, I, you know, as much as we say textbook mansion, that's also textbook Biden. Like his administration has had little to no actual cohesive plans. They've gotten, not even in my opinion, really even the bare minimum done to expect good electoral results in twenty two and twenty four. And even within the like the office of the president, the the executive powers that he has personally, that he hasn't made movement on like significant bills. So, ever significant pieces of legislation. So I mean, we're in this like, unfortunately. We're in this position where, you know, with with Biden kind of, you know, not really being the, you know, I, I hate using this word, not really being the strong leadership that we like, that you would need to bully more moderate um, elements into the fold. Uh, you know, he's rolling over for people like Manchin, people like Cinema, and others in, in such a way that gives them ridiculous institutional power, despite the fact that like Manchin's district is not really at all representative of, of the national you know, model. It's, you know, his, you know, mansion is is in a really conservative district um, and just kind of skirts by and he's controlling policy. Uh, And and that's like kind of the unfortunate part of the Senate right now is like you said, even though we made massive, massive um, gains in Georgia, it looks like that didn't play out to any like functional gains for the American people. And I, I can't help but fear that that's going to reflect very, very poorly in 22 and 24, when I think Democrats inevitably lose the Senate and probably see a slimmer House majority than they already have. I don't think Democrats lose the House, but I think in 2022, they like, and they, in November, um, they're going to probably lose the Senate. And then in 24, I, I can't imagine the Biden administration being a two-term presidency personally.
0: Yeah, I I would have to agree with that. Um, I think that, like you said, the pivot from Biden to voting rights and the pivot we've seen, not just from Biden, but obviously when Biden leads, uh, the moderate cohort kind of follows, which is like the the majority of Democrats in office follow to shifting um, their talk about uh, Build Back Better to now talking about voting rights legislation. that did signal the beginning of the end for Build Back Better. You know, it seemed like a couple of days ago that went going on, like that, that messaging started. And um, once that messaging started, you're uh, essentially setting the countdown clock because they know that Joe Manchin is going to announce he's not voting for Build Back Better and they're trying to get out ahead of it. Um, so that was eventually, that was the signifier that this was over. Um, Joe Biden effectively abandoning centerpiece like i said the centerpiece of his of his administration right the the this is this is his magnum opus this is his big piece of legislation that he was willing he was trying to pass the build back better plan it is named after his it's, it's effectively like the same as trump naming a bill the make america great again plan right build back better was essentially his make america great again it was his tagline it was his signifier the entire race right when he started to take over essentially allowing it to die. He abandons it. Uh, Joe Manchin shoots it down. Joe Biden not effective at all at using his power as the president to tell Joe Manchin, listen, I'm the head of your party and you have to do what I tell you because I am the president here. You're not the president. You weren't elected president. You are effectively shooting our administration in the back. You are shooting Americans in the back. Um, None of that happened. And the pivot to Uh, Voting rights effectively announced an abandonment of Build Back Better. Um, And then you get into kind of the messaging that we've been seeing um, from progressives across the board, which is I didn't know that Build Back Better and voting rights were mutually exclusive. I thought that we could fight for both, which is the reality. I don't understand using voting rights as (laughs) we have to focus on voting rights. It's like, yeah, but we can also focus on Build Back Better they're essentially using the, using the uh, protection of voting rights <laughs> as kind of like the, hey, look, look what we got over here. Like we got voting rights. They're trying to detract away from the fact that their centerpiece is being demolished and, and killed right in front of our very eyes after they fought and fought for it, right? And at every pass, Joe Manchin and Cinema to a lesser extent, were willing to say, we're not voting for this. Take this part out, take this part out. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. Um, so the, the abandonment, the wholesale abandonment of, of Build Back Better in favor of voting rights has been something that's increasingly frustrating for, um, the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, which is looking at it like, why don't we do both? I don't understand why we can't do both, right? Um, and that's kind of been something that has been the, that's been the talk of the week, right, is I think a lot of progressives saw what was coming when that pivot happened and, trying to get out the messaging that like, look, it doesn't have to be this way. We don't need to just abandon Build Back Better in support of the voting rights, uh, of of increasing and protecting voting rights. We can do both. Don't let people tell you we can't. Um, Effectively, uh, that messaging didn't work and the messaging from the presidency, obviously always stronger. Um, He abandons it, basically rendering the Democrats kind of like out on their feet, you know? for 2022. I I think that I would agree with your assessment that 2022 is looking like it's going to be a real rough one for Democrats. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find uh, someone who tells you the opposite, right? I think a lot of people have seen what has been effectively an ineffective administration at dealing with the moment. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to they had lost control of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, who effectively were driving policy and driving policy in the opposite direction of where most of the American populace wanted it. Um, and that is going to render this administration completely out on their feet. Uh, 2022, I think, is going to be uh, a mess for the Democrats. I would agree with your assessment that the Senate is all but gone. I think that there would have to be a turnaround of monumental proportions in the next year to keep them from losing the Senate. And I think everything we've seen from this administration and from um, this Congress that I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think that that's likely. So I think that 2022 will see a lot of advances for Republicans. And um, like you said, it will leave them effectively out on their feet for 2024 when the Republicans are going to probably come in with a knockout blow and render the Biden administration a one-term presidency, whether he runs again or whether they put up somebody else. I know there's been talk of Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, um, another, another uh, ticket that I do not see putting up any fight against a Republican uh, ticket at this point in time, because I think a lot of people are going to see like the Democratic Party essentially backing down on most, if not all of the policy that got them elected, uh, leaving them completely vulnerable to uh, an yet another uh, Republican majority in in the coming uh, years. So I think that that's a gr- I think that's a completely true assessment is that the Democratic Party right now is kind of just wobbling like they're they're getting ready to take that big that big like left hook from the Republicans. And I think it's completely of their doing. I don't think that um, I, I, I they honestly had such a lead right when they won the presidency they secured the senate and they secured the house and they were riding high and they essentially have shot themselves in the foot enough that now they're completely vulnerable to a big republican wave
1: no i mean i and, and i completely agree i mean and that's the unfortunate reality too is it, well i mean i guess another really unfortunate reality of it too is that like the moderate base of the democratic wing i don't think seems to understand the ramifications of this decision making Um, Because you are seeing a lot of rhetoric, uh, especially from the more like moderate Democratic wing who are like Biden's like actual primary supporters, who are saying that, you know, we can't really blame the Biden admin, we really can't blame, you know, all of this, because you have these two moderate senators who were kind of doing a lot of damage. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. But there, there comes a time where, you know, you have to ask yourself, it's like, this is an administration that won. Isn't even doing the small things that they could do within their own like uh, uh, like executive powers, you know. I mean, you're talking like you know, just like big like the big three that I can think of that might actually get them some pretty good um, PR is one the cancellation of the student debt that was promised at the beginning of the Biden administration, um, you know, as well as like other like you know the legalization of marijuana, which was I think never really on the table for that admin, but could be supplemented in. To at least help approval ratings a little bit. And, you know, mixed with like also, like, I don't know, maybe getting kids out of cages at the border. You know, like you can do things like as an executive that, you know, that that you don't have to rely on the Senate for. Um, And my fear is really gonna be that, you know, had Biden done a few of those things through executive orders, like you could have actually made a really cohesive argument in 22 and 24 that, like, the real problem is we don't have enough Democrats, you know, in the Senate, which is true you know, in my opinion, the, the, the problem in the Senate fundamentally is that we don't have enough like progressives in the Senate. Like we, we have a couple of moderates who are functionally Republicans. Um, and then you have like Cinema who's just functionally bought up by whatever corporation she's talking to that week. So, you know, you don't have any real institutional leverage beyond like maybe a few moderate policies, but there are things he could have done that he hasn't. And I think, you know, come 2022, I don't see a lot of progressive voters and I really coming out and buying the whole like, oh, you know, he couldn't have done anything. It's all the Senate. Cause like an average voter is gonna say he's the president. Um, when he wants to move things, he can do that. You know, like you can, you can utilize the bully pulpit as the president. You can really hold this to the flame or hold people to the flame. And you can really, really shape the national narrative if you want to. But it seems the Biden administration is almost hell bent on doing nothing and seeing how well they can do electorally after doing that nothing. And I think, unfortunately, like Biden's supporters are reflective of Biden in that, like, he is convinced that this is a strategy that might work in 22 and 24. Uh, My unfortunate, you you know, my fear is that, like, the strategy that he thinks is working is actually going to blow up in everybody's faces, and we're gonna end up with Republican leadership and a truncated government by 24, that's probably not gonna get busted until minimum 28. So like, you know, when we look at like the, the strategy of the democratic party, you know, in the short term and I guess in the midterm, like, you know, I, I, you know no pun intended, um, you know, Biden had two years functionally to get done the, some of the core components of his, of his, um, of his agenda. And, you know, the, the, I think in my opinion and the opinions of a lot of progressives who had seen his administration start was he needs to push things through in the first two years because the, even if he was doing well, I don't think Democrats were holding on to the Senate just because of like general midterm trends. You know, usually like in the next midterms, like the the party of the incumbent president is disproportionately affected. Right. And, and you're going to see losses of seats and in, in, in a Senate where you literally only have the majority because of Kamala Harris. Um, you know, that, that presents a serious strategical problem, like strategic problem. Um, but I think anybody who is reasonable felt that, you know, you have to get everything done by November, 2022. Um, and if you don't, those next two years are going to be really painful. Um, because now, you know, ideally the Biden administration passed a few things early and then can pawn it off to the Senate after 22 and say, well, this is, you know, we don't have the majority, we can't do anything. The typical like democratic resistance, uh, energy, <laughs> but you know, he hasn't done anything. So when he goes and tells everyone like, oh, I there's so much I wish I could have done. People who are plugged in are calling bullshit functionally because like there is things he could, there are things he could have done. Um, but he as a president decided not to do any of them when he had all of the leverage. And now we're all going to suffer because of that functionally.
0: No, I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that uh, you're seeing from... You know, the administration as a whole, you're seeing an outright denial of the power that, that they have essentially forfeited to Joe Manchin. Um, I think we saw it uh, doing the rounds on Twitter. There was a video of Charlemagne the God um, interviewing Kamala Harris, in which he very bluntly asked Kamala Harris, who is the president, Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? And uh, they rushed to cut the interview, and uh, Kamala did get very angry. Um, because that is essentially how Americans are feeling. Americans that pay attention to the day in and day out are like, wait a second here, like, I, I voted for Joe Biden for president. I, I live in Kentucky. I did not vote for Joe Manchin. You know, he wasn't on my ballot. Uh, so I think the frustration there is very, it, it, the frustration there is is absolutely valid, right? It's also, I feel like we, we're kind of seeing this where we were, they were promising the most progressive administration. And I think that a lot of us in the progressive wing, um, were, we, kind of, we kind of took that with a grain of salt, but we were at least expecting them to try to hold uh, some bit of, uh, they were going to try, try to make that a little bit uh, legitimate, right? They are going to try to add some legitimacy to that claim that they were saying this was going to be the most progressive administration in American history. Um, Ultimately, though, you know, we are seeing uh, a world where, you know, effectively, imagine you're an American who doesn't pay much attention to politics day in and day out. All you know is who's president and what affects you directly, right? Biden has betrayed his platform so much that you are an American who voted for Joe Biden because you didn't really feel, you, you just, you, you kind of were, you're done with Trump, right, and all those shenanigans Um, so you're going through your day and day, you as an American that doesn't really pay attention to politics, you have received more stimulus money under Donald Trump, you had your student debt payments paused under Donald Trump, effectively during a pandemic, and now because the Biden administration is so set on kind of reinstituting normal, right, they want to bring back normal, they want to return to normalcy, right, um, they are essentially, you know, they gave you a very small payment at the very beginning of the administration that was completely, you know, it it, it, it was completely chiseled down and trimmed down to next to nothing from what they promised uh, during the Georgia elections, right? They promised everybody um, a significant amount of money, right, to win those Georgia elections, and then immediately turned away um, from those people and those promises that they made. Um, and then you're you're also having a world where now. You, your student debt is being, your student debt payments are being reinstituted um, in the middle of a pandemic, right? It's kind of like this hypocrisy between the messaging that the Democratic Party is making on a a wholesale scale, right? Where we're we're seeing the Omicron uh, variant kind of cutting through communities, right? And it is very, very impactful. Um, You're seeing hours long lines at testing facilities in major cities across the country Um, and we are hearing rhetoric from the administration that the omicron variant is something we did not see coming um, but we need to do our best to combat this get vaccinated get your booster we need to combat this we have to fight this right Um, because we are still very much in the midst of a pandemic but then again on the other hand Uh, They're also kind of saying to Americans in their action, we had our student loan debt moratorium was instituted because there is a pandemic going on, and Americans are very much so living paycheck to paycheck, even more than they already were, and they do not need the extra financial stress of having to pay off their student debt. But we're reinstituting it now even though they're telling you that the pandemic is still going on. So there is that mixed messaging that is absolutely confusing to most Americans, right? And to also touch on a point that you made of, of the, the further repercussions of, of, the Biden administration's, um, of the Biden administration's inability to meet the moment and the electoral repercussions that we're probably going to see as the progressive wing has seen time and time again, the messaging that is going to come out of a Republican beatdown that I think we're probably headed for because of the inability of this administration to meet the moment in the midterms, right? The messaging that's going to come out of that is the same messaging you get each and every time a moderate Democrat loses a seat and it's going to be, we went too far left and they're going to drive the issues further to the center or further to the right, depending on how you see things. that's kind of the messaging that is going to come out of this, and I do think that a Republican, a Republican routing of the Democratic Party at the midterms is going to be immediately pinned on any and all progressive um, movement, progressive candidates, progressive activists, progressive voices. Right, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party could mop up, and they could win a ton of elections, right, in their own right, but if, a, if a, enough moderate Democrats lose their seats to Republicans, the messaging wholesale from a national, from the national uh, level Democrats is going to be, we played too much into progressive policy, into progressive rhetoric, and we need to move further to the right, and that is the issue that we're probably headed for, and we see it each and every time, and I, I, I just, you know, we got to wrap up soon, but your thoughts on that as we close out kind of this, this overview of, of the Joe Manchin administration that we have lived in for the last year? I
1: mean, I've already begun seeing it. Um, and this is kind of probably one of the, the harshest effects of this kind of like, again, militant moderacy, um, of a certain part of the democratic party is you have a few moderates who are holding everything back because of their, you know, they're already either moderate um, you know, not really districts, but I guess like areas that they're relying on, you know, mansion again is in, you know, I said, moderate district is a Senator. He's just in a, he's just in a very moderate state. He's in a very conservative situation. Um, so he's not going to be having a very fun time. Um, you know, should progressive legislation go through, but, you know, at some point you have to, you, you know, you have to play that, you know, you have to have that calculus. and say, like, do we lose mansion or do we lose like six other senators? Um, but regardless, it is what it is, um, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot though already, like you've started seeing kind of a liberal pivot towards acknowledging that there is going to be like a progressive threat, I say in quotations in the upcoming midterms. And you see it a lot in um, <laughs> primarily on Twitter, what's called like the K-Hive, so like Kamala Harris, um, kind of her fan base or her support base on online, I kind of use them as a litmus test for for like broader moderate um like quasi like you know progressive by name moderate functionally like type people and or you know in my opinion like right wing but i mean that is what it is um of of like they are driving at home that we need to be more moderate that if we go more left we're going to lose more you know they're already priming it and i think that when we see an electoral failure in 22 especially we're gonna start seeing this whole like, oh, well, if progressives weren't asking for so damn much, we might get something done. And then you know, progressives are naturally gonna answer that with a well, we didn't really even ask for that much kind of call. And then you're gonna get bogged down in infight in, in you're gonna get bogged down in infighting until 24. And then in 24, like, I'm sorry, but if Kamala Harris and people to judge the best the democratic party can field for like a solvent presidential ticket, then they're asking for failure um and it doesn't matter like what progressives do at that point you throw up a ticket like that it's done you throw up a biden t- a biden kamala harris ticket again it's done in my opinion like i mean because biden you know when you look at the approval ratings and the pot and the general like trends in popularity amongst biden and, and harris like that administration is, is functionally being floated by the child tax credit that is going to be expiring before 24 um and you compound that with the end of the rent moratorium, I mean, the the, both rent and eviction moratoriums, the end of student debt moratoriums, his continued um, inaction towards any kind of college debt cancellation or what have you, like he's setting himself up for massive, massive failure. And I, and unfortunately I agree is that progressives are gonna be blamed for that when it's functionally a failure of democratic party leadership to act. And, you know, unfortunately, a massive victory for these moderate candidates who are doing everything they can to ensure that they can stay in charge. Um, Or at least if they're not in positions of power, inadvertently wield all of the power that they need to stall anything they don't like. Um, And, you know, I personally, um, it might just because of my, you know, pre it might be because of my pre existing biases here. If Democrats lose in twenty two and twenty four, progressives are the last cohort you need to be blaming for that failure. Like you need, like I, I wish that like you know the K Hive would have that kind of energy for moderate Democrats that are holding up any kind of reforms or changes that might benefit working class people, because like the the Democrats have been outflanked by Republicans on the whole working class party narrative for years, which is only doable because the Democrats prove time and time and time again that they're a party that will functionally uphold corporate capitalist interests over any reforms that might help the working class and republicans are able to tout that they're a working people's party because there isn't an oppositional force that actually is um, you know the republican party is by all means a corporate party corporate capitalist party um, as is the democratic party um, and as such like unfortunately like there's just no foil you know You saw that in the, you know, the governor's race in Virginia, right? Um, I think it was the governor's race. Yeah, where the Democratic incumbent got his ass kicked. And, you know, frankly, like the few points that he could have really been dragging out that weren't like your typical anti-Trump talking points that, in my opinion, are extremely tired by now and they're not going to work in another election cycle. Um, You know, he could have hammered uh, the, the now Republican governor on his investment in massive hedge funds, uh, on things of that nature. Like, why is he doing VC work? Um, But unfortunately, the Democratic incumbent was also tied to some of those same funds. You know, this is the, the fundamental Democratic Party issue is they're unable to, they can't legitimately criticize the Republican Party for some of their most gross things because they're not offering anything beyond rhetorical difference. Um, And they're really just offering aesthetic change, you know, and that's the unfortunate reality with I think the democratic platform as it stands, is it's much more focused on aesthetic change than functional structural change. Um, I think the Biden administration is a really good example of that like functionally. They're not all that different from the Trump admin as much as I hate to admit it. Um, And Kamala Harris isn't really a progressive warrior. Um, that that I think the K Hive and some moderate Democrats would would paint her out to be, um, you know, it, it it really seems like we've changed the the color of the party that's in charge from red to blue, but functionally for any working class voter, what what's been done, you know, like what what permanently has been done, like you can you can tout the child tax credit, you can tout a um, less than what was promised stimulus. But if functionally, all of the things that were keeping the working class like alive during this pandemic are expiring, um, and you're not giving other like legitimately good and dynamic policies, you shouldn't expect to win. Um, and I don't know, and I, again, like I agree with you. I, I think progressives are gonna get blamed, voters are gonna get blamed, and it's gonna be a mess because the Democratic Party time and time again shows that it's more willing to blame its voters than do any serious like self reflection um, post electoral defeats, but we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's yeah, the I think.
0: Reality. I think I think that that is the reality. I think that we're probably headed for that. We see it time and time again. Progressives can mop up and and win all their races, and few moderates lose. And then it's all oh, we, we we went too far to the left. Meanwhile, you know the guys that quote unquote went too far to the left are the ones that are moving their stuff into offices around the country because they won their elections because they promised to give the working class something tangible um and i i think that 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 is uh, probably a good place to wrap it up uh i gotta say i am very excited uh for this new and improved soul strategies podcast uh you and i both uh doing these things and uh it's fun to have that discourse um talking about the, uh, the quote unquote, Joe Manchin administration that we have been subjected to on the morning of the Build Back Better plan being essentially killed um, as Joe Manchin signifies that he will not vote for it. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, it's been, uh, it's going to be a great run um, and I'm very excited to uh, work with you more in the future, James.
1: Yeah, no, likewise, I'm very, very excited. (laughs) But as always, uh, I hope everybody has a great day and uh, I think we're out of here.